welcome to the official podcast of Copper and Blue. And wow, oh wow, has it been ever a busy week. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining alongside me are my co-hosts, Jonah Hickmore and Gerard Murray. And uh, you know what, guys? I think everyone knows what we're going to be talking about this week. Dave Tippett, the man that we all have loved and have wanted to have keep this job for as long as he could, has been fired by the Edmonton Oilers. And they have promoted AHL coaches Jay Woodcroft to the head coaching position. And they have also brought up Dave Manson, the defensive coach for the Condors, up to replace Jim Playfair as well. So I just want to get your guys' thoughts, your initial reactions on hearing this news. Initial reactions were that it's six months too late. But uh, beyond that, I think better late than never. It kind of came at a point where, like, I almost wasn't expecting it. Because, you know, they obviously had the, the awful December. Then they were on a little, little bit of a good run, like 5-0 and 1 or whatever it was. And I think, okay, you know, Nico Koskinen just saved Dave Tippett's job. Unfortunate, ironic, but whatever. And then two losses later, like, oh, okay, sure, he's gone. I, I again, ironically, at the hands of Mike Smith somewhat. So, Yeah, no, I was at work as well, and I just checked my phone, and uh, I'm in a group chat, and they were all celebrating that Tippett had been fired. And I, I had to do a double take because I didn't believe it at first either. I was like, there's no way. If they didn't, if, if Holland didn't fire Tippett after those consecutive, was it six or seven game losing streaks, there's no way in hell he was going to fire Tippett after a two game losing streak. But uh, it looks like the pressure is really starting to get uh, to everyone in the organization. And with the, the looming fact that missing the playoffs is a more realistic uh, possibility each day that goes by and, and each game we lose here. So I think it was, I think Elliot Friedman said too, it was just born out of uh, an overwhelming sense of pressure from Holland to do something and anything to get this team back on track. But uh, uh, I'm very happy with it. And I'm glad to hear you guys are too. Um, the replacements coming up uh, to replace Playfair and Tippett are Woodcroft and Manson. Those are the guys I had penciled in all year. Those are the guys I want leading the team all year long. So I'm very happy to see them there as well. Ah. Yeah, you hear so often about like the, the mid-season coaching replacement. So with was it Barubi that was mid-season for St. Louis, Mike Sullivan for Pittsburgh, you know. Yeah. You you'd hope it happens here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to like, you know, add a bit of realism in there. But you know, it's it's in the back of my mind for sure. Yeah. You know what I actually found interesting about, I expected Tippett to get fired. I did Well, I didn't expect Tippett to get fired, but I expected if a Tippett got fired, it would just be Tippett. So I find it very interesting that the defensive coach, Playfair, also got fired. Not that I think that's wrong. I think the defense has been um, a bit of a mess. Uh, get me being polite. Um, but I, there's a certain irony to me of, Holland doing something like firing your defensive coach um, because you're having a shit season when Holland's off season created the shit defense your defensive coach is working with. Yeah. Um, do I think Playfair was doing a good job with what he had? No. So I'm not particularly bothered by it. I just think, you know, there's a certain level of irony of like, yeah, okay, move the blame to to this guy who's coaching them, but let's not talk about who took $24 million of cap space and assembled this, yeah. you know? So I think it's, it's an, certainly an interesting thing. It's an easy way for Holland to pass the buck onto someone else. And, you know, 
he he won't he'll never admit it, but that's basically what he did by firing the defensive coach. And I'm not a fan of Jim Playfer as well. Um, I think he was on the Spitting Chicklets podcast to discuss a little bit about his coaching tactics and some of the stuff he said during that is just plain bizarre. Um, one of his tactics is that he wants, I believe, he wanted the defenseman to give up the line for some odd reason, and he also expected his uh, defenseman to take at least at least two or three shots a period, which is you know, it's one thing to take a shot on net. It's another thing to take a smart shot on net. And what we've seen a lot this year is our defenseman just waffling pucks on, on onto the net, toward the net, and them getting blocked or them being very low value. So I think we've also seen a lot very... of a lot of defensemen making just not. Um, I I don't um, I guess technically they wouldn't be risky passes, but they're not safe passes out of the zone. Like you see a lot of defensemen trying to make stretch passes up the ice in that this year. Um, it's certainly something I've noticed when I've been watching the Oilers, which let's be honest, you know, I've tried to avoid doing it um, recently, but uh, they, you know, they've definitely um, got some room to just kind of play a really much smarter defensive game and hopefully under Manson they do that so yeah for sure um, I think Clayfair's strategy might be uh big risk big reward summed up as based stuff yeah Gerard you got any thoughts on this yeah kind of going along on the same like defensive tactics Clayfair used um people smarter than me I've seen on Twitter even say like you know as soon as we see these young guys come up from Bakersfield you know they hold the line hold the line then five games later you see them just completely bow off and I I'm assuming that it was always there I I've never noticed it myself I guess I just wasn't paying attention enough um but yeah my analysis is not very strong in this suit I'm sorry <laughs> no worries uh I one, one guy I've seen do it quite a bit which it just seems weird for the type of player of his and I have brought it up on this podcast is Darnell Nurse he just seems to always back off on that net or on that line and on the shooter to kind of give the, the shooter some more room to shoot. And he's, there's been goals that have been caused by that type of play. So um, I'm hoping Dave Manson can come in here and, uh, and fix that up and fix our defensive structure. I know that Holland hasn't like done much. To, I'd also like the defenses to start pushing people out instead of giving them the center of the ice to play. And yeah. like, I don't get that mm-hmm. <laughs> along the walls, please. Yeah, <laughs> low event hockey in our own zone, please, please. Um, and Jay Woodcroft has just been a phenomenal coach in the organization. I know, um, when he was with Todd McClellan on that staff, I, I wasn't too big of a fan of him because I think he was running our special teams and uh, just wasn't a great special teams coach. Um, but then he went down to Bakersfield, became the, the head coach down there, and has done a fantastic job. I think he had 13 NHL debuts down there. Um, led the, the Condors to a division title just last season in an abbreviated season. Um, so I think he's the perfect guy to come up here, uh, be a new voice in the room. And he seems like a really just smart guy. You listen to his media availability since he's been the head coach and it's night and day from what you see with Dave Tippett. He seems a lot more engaged with the media. You look at him on the bench. He's always running down the bench to talk to players. He's just, it just seems like a more energized guy rather than Tippett who I would, they would cut to him five times a game and, and he'd just be like sitting there looking grumpy the entire time. So uh, I'm hoping. Uh, well, I mean, I'm if he was watching the same Oilers hockey I was watching, I can understand why he looked grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of his first games as a head coach is going to be against Tom McClellan. That's fun. That is fun. That is going to be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and I really like what he said in his post game after that, uh, that win against the Islanders. He said that, that when they had that one goal lead in the third period, they told his team, we're not going, we're not going back down. We're going to keep pushing and we want more goals here, which is very unlike a Dave Tippett hockey team who tends to get that lead and try to sit on it and defend. But, uh, uh this team is not a team that can do that. Right. So I'm hoping that kind of strategy resonates within the dressing room and it leads to, uh, the Oilers blowing less leads than they have under Holland. Or, uh, Just by one um, big brain Jay Woodcroft take. Uh, Connor McDavid will have an eight-point game or higher as an Oiler under Jay Woodcroft. Okay, well, because I think he's going, he's going to do it no matter what. But He wasn't going to do it under Tippett, though, because Tippett would always lock him down in the third. He would play like three minutes. In the, like There was a couple, game a couple years ago against Colorado. Six points halfway through the game, three minutes played in the third period. Couldn't even touch yeah. it. I... I think with Jay Woodcroft, he's going to like, no, just go for it, man. Have fun. Yeah. And the the lines, I believe, are uh, the, the time on ice is a, was a lot more balanced than it usually is. On mm-hmm. So uh, Yeah, they're not like, it's not the slam the panic button of like, something isn't working, put Leon and Connor together. Uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping that well, I mean, is only reserved for the most dire of situations, not every exactly. like, five shifts. So right? so. When... Um... Everyone seems to realize, you know, in about a month that we're still out of player, uh, a playoff position and it's year seven, I believe, of the Connor McDavid era. <laughs> That's Oops. when you'll start to hear people clamoring to put uh, McDavid back with dry side. <laughs> I think I think that's when, uh, you know, I, I never want to cheer for the Oilers to miss the playoffs, but I think um, that's the only way that uh, fundamental change is going to happen within the Oilers organization. Ken Holland is not getting fired this year if the Oilers make the playoffs and have a first-round exit. They're not going to get fired. I, I don't think they will. And Bob Nicholson will be safe as well. Uh, because, you know, it wasn't the expected result, but, hey, it's better than missing the playoffs. Um, you know, but that's the thing is, um, I have trouble believing if they miss the playoffs, even if they miss the playoffs, Holland will get fired. Because the Oilers, at so many levels, have been so content as an organization to just be not what they should be for such a long time like if i think about it colorado's rebuild is is pretty much done you know no oh, yeah heck, more than done <laughs> you know heck ottawa's started to turn their rebuild around into a more positive direction in the last couple months even and yet we're oh, look, still look within our own division we have look at the teams that are ahead of us right now la they're supposed to be rebuilding anaheim they're supposed to be rebuilding they're ahead of us in the standings they're both in a I believe they're both in the playoff spot and we're chasing them. So, yeah. Well, Vegas isn't even supposed to be good yet. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. But Vegas is Vegas. They have been ultra aggressive at every player that has hit the market. So uh, we could only wish to, to, to have a team like a management group like Vegas that will do literally whatever it takes to, to get good players to come play for their team. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know, you're, you're a little hesitant on it. I think it's like a, a done deal if we miss the playoffs like it's a colossal failure um, i would like it to be a done deal but i have been an oilers fan for long enough that i don't trust it to be a done deal <laughs> i think the, i just think the pressure from from every the, the pressure from the fan base the 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 pandemic and and the financial stresses that cats will have on on the oilers banking on the oilers and karmic david making the playoffs are just too big for them to miss it and if they yeah. do miss it again i think it's just Bob Nicholson has proven that he cannot hire the right guy if he 
in Ken Holland and Peter Shirelli. And Ken Holland is way past his best before date. Um, he shouldn't be the GM right now, but I think that will just solidify that he's not the right guy as well. So, well, yeah, it's one of those things where, based right. on his like his press conference regarding Tippett's firing, how he spouted that he takes so much accountability for it that, like, based on that alone, he should be fired. Yeah, right. Okay. He's basically like setting it up for himself that if I fail at this, you should fire me. Whether it actually happens or not is another story, obviously. But hey, it's, but it's interesting right. that yeah. Based on his press conference, he should take himself out of the equation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Truly taking accountability for the choices made for the Oilers in the last, what, 20 to 24 months, yeah. you know? It's very much like him taking a stick and putting it in the spokes of a bicycle by himself and wondering how could this have happened? Like, yeah, but like, you know, and then saying, well, like, I'm going to take accountability. Well, if you were to truly take accountability for this the first thing you should do is remove yourself because you understand that you no longer yeah. are in a position to be competitive. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and we've seen this before. We've seen Paul Maurice do it as a head coach. Jim Rutherford did that in Pittsburgh and now he's with Vancouver, uh, building a very, somebody else, very did nice, it. somebody uh, else did it this year. Yeah. Winnipeg. Someone in Winnipeg did it this year. Yeah. Paul Maurice. That, Paul Paul Maurice. Maurice. Yeah. Yeah, so it's um, and you know respect to those guys realizing that they might not be the best guy for that that role, and they remove themselves. And uh, uh, at least Rutherford, I think, is is doing quite a quite a swell job in Vancouver building a a, a pretty forward thinking uh, management group. Um, and then Paul Maurice, he's I, I think he's still a good coach, but uh, and I think we'll see him next year. But uh, I, I respect I respect that type of decision making to be able to be the bigger man and see the big picture. Um, Ken Holland, is he the type of the guy, type of guy to do that? Absolutely not. I think you bring up his press conferences and he likes to just fight tooth and nail with reporters that uh, fight with him or question and even a little bit about what he does. We, we've seen like those famous uh, clips of his uh, press conferences of him uh, describing Duncan Keith being like, well, you wanted me to get him for free. And uh, yeah, no, I didn't want you to get him at all. Yeah, and, and stuff like that. I don't think he's the type of guy to step up and uh, and leave a situation that he knows he's not suited for. I think he's more of the double-down type of guy and will only make that decision um, to fire the coach when he absolutely has to do it. Because um, I, I feel like he says it's his decision. I don't know, man. I don't know if that was all of his decision. It, it reeked of, of ownership uh, pressing him a little bit, saying well, it's either... You either fire him or we fire him and we tell everyone about it. So, you know, I think you're right, Preston. I think that was a little bit of Tippett's was uh, Tippett's last string of coaching had put him over a barrel where it was like, and maybe not we fire Tippett. It's like you fire Tippett or we fire yeah. you and Tippett. Yeah. Right. Um, which sad. Um if that was the case, I could have had a two for one, which makes me sad. But um, I definitely think it's an interesting shuffle of responsibility. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he said specifically that was his decision. But, I'm like, he's not going to say that it wasn't his decision. That would just be a very embarrassing thing for him to do. So, you know, it's not confirmed what we're saying, but it's, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's it was all of in his hands, right? It came together a little too quickly for it to be in his hands, I think. For a guy who has never fired a coach midseason to all of a sudden do it like that, I don't know, it seems fishy. Um, 
you know, I will say before we move on, the only thing I'm very, very, very thankful for is, you know, early December, there were early, late December, you know, and into the start of January with all these talks about how Tippett had connected or how Holland had connected with Babcock. And if he fired Tippett, you know, the guy he wanted in place instead of Tippett was Babcock. So I will just say I am. Thank God. Thankful, <laughs> thankful very thankful that that is not what happened. Oh yeah. boy. I was also, cause I, I heard the, that Tippett was fired, but I didn't hear who was replacing him. And I was like, Oh God, here comes the scary part. The thing is done. Can he do the next good thing? And luckily he was able to, but Babcock was right there in my mind when I heard about the firing. So he was uh, physically right here. He was at the downtown arena last week. Oh, he was, was he? against McEwen, yeah. Oh man, he could have just that stuck would have been perfect. Wouldn't that have been perfect? Right? He just crossed uh, like the four minute walk into to Roger's place. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> serious, serious question, Gerard. You were at the downtown arena this weekend. Do they have concessions yet? Uh, that is an entirely good question. I know there's a Starbucks though that's never opened. There's like no, the there were concessions. Signage is down. Oh, is it okay? Um, shows how much I know. There was like a little food court thing. I don't know. I, yeah, I was, they had a Sabero, yeah. a, a pizza place there for a yeah. Little yeah, I spent, yeah, and all those, all those, all those little kiosks are are shut with their signage down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, because I spent part of my time this year doing, uh, watching not um, NHL or WHL hockey, wondering why the downtown arena couldn't even sell me a drink. Not I think from it's a just like machine. most of the places closed down mid pandemic, and they just never opened them up. Maybe they will they'll come back after the fact, but. Yeah, I just show up there to like set up cameras and stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just maybe he knows if there's a secret spot you can find something to drink. Yeah, it's no, Starbucks by Kingsway on the way in. That's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then speaking of Woodcroft, I know we, we talked a little bit about Woodcroft at the beginning, and we spent most of this talking about uh, the the situation surrounding the firing of Dave Tippett. Um, Woodcroft came into here. Um, it's his roster now. There's no allegiances um, to Devin Shore or Mike Smith. Even though Mike Smith did get the first start in the Woodcroft era, we did see him do something a little interesting. He didn't go with uh, a complete, uh, what was it, six, uh, three, six, nine, twelve. He did 11 forwards instead of 12 forwards and ran 7D. And the forward that was uh, scratched, a healthy scratch, was none other than Devin Shore, which would never have happened under Dave Tippett for some reason or another. Uh, Devin Shore had all the room in the world for uh, uh, Dave Tippett. Um, so seeing him scratched, I think was a positive seeing Tyler Benson get some time alongside Ryan McLeod um, was also very nice. And uh, I gotta say, I was actually pretty impressed with uh, how he rolled the defensive pairings as well. Um, and having Broberg cycle in there, a lot more than uh, I think Tippett would with the, a similar roster construction. Yeah, we'll uh, say, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm not as worried. I'm not quite as, I'm still worried about Broberg being up too soon. I'm not mm. quite as worried about it as I was because part of my worry with Broberg being up too soon is that the other's defensive situation or defensive coaching situation was not, you know, inspiring confidence. So now that he's got the coaches from down at the HL, well, he was doing really quite well. Hopefully, hopefully I don't have, don't need to be as quite as worried about him. Also, I don't need to be quite as worried that they'll run him out of town, you know, a la Stuart Skinner earlier this year. Yeah. Hui. 
I warned you all. I warned you all. I, do I, I, I don't think we'll be seeing any situations where a player makes a mistake and then a game goes to triple overtime and that player doesn't play anymore. I don't think we'll see decisions like that on the back end anymore. That never happens. What, what are you talking uh, about? Yeah, I'm just hypo- throwing hypotheticals out there. Okay. You know? yeah. I, don't think, I don't think that would happen under well, uh, Jim Woodcraft and Dave Manson. <laughs> um, uh, I was listening to uh, Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts uh, podcast. I think it was earlier today or earlier this week. Um, and he was talking about some player. Him and Jeff Merrick were talking about players that would receive a, a bump in, in playing time and, and maybe even quality of play. Uh, down the road under Woodcroft and Mansing. And the guy they kept bringing up was uh, Evan Bouchard, um, who thrived, I think, down with Dave Manson's uh, system over in Bakersfield. And I feel like he's been, you know, uh, like a lot of young players under Dave Tippett and Jim Playfair, they've been playing a little nervous because they know if they make a mistake, they're down the lineup very quickly. And there's not a lot of room for second chances under that that regime here. So I'm hoping that we see a more relaxed Bouchard, a more calm Bouchard, because he has struggled over the last 10 games. I still like his game overall, but he's been struggling a little bit. So I'm hoping a new change with some familiar faces that he's used to from his time in Bakersfield will let him, you know, play his game without having to worry whether he will get demoted down the line here. So that's another player I'm excited to see under this new system. Yes, the great question of who is Jay Woodcroft, Jake Ensel? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, is it Cooper Marodi? Oh, is the it... only hope. <laughs> right. You know, may, potentially. We have two thirds of that line now. We have Cloud and Benson. Be... That like the, that's the two players I think. Tyler, uh, Cooper Marodi and Tyler Benson. I think their careers will have the most change of trajectory with his hire. I think. Yeah. Well, that's a line that he relied on heavily down when all three of them were in Bakersfield and. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. a matter of time before we see Marodi up. And, you know, I honestly think this is the end of Devin Shore being a regular roster player for the Edmonton Oilers. I think they're going to keep Brendan Perlini over Shore. That's just my gut feel here with how it was uh, Shore who was the late scratch. It just feels like, the, I don't know. I feel like it's uh, he's, he's headed to uh, Bakersfield and uh, Marodi's oh. going to get something. It's fine. He's a UFA at the end of the season, right? We can just let him walk. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, wait. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Shoot. The old ah. Ken Holland uh, two-year deal. You know, the Kyle Turr yeah, special. Well, Mike Smith quite, special. Uh, it's quite disappointing to me when I because I was thinking about that as well, like how Skinner might benefit from a change in head coaching situations, right? How our, our goalie situation might benefit from just a change. And then I realized, no, Mike Smith has another year. So Koskinen might be done at the end of this year, but I'm still – Kind of in the same situation. Yeah, you're, you're in a hole here because you want to upgrade your goaltending. You don't want, I don't think you want Stuart Skinner to be your starter next year, like that fast. I don't, I think you want to put him in that backup role and have him, you know, maybe he doesn't split the games with the starter, but plays close to a split with the starter, you know? Um, that starter cannot be Mike Smith. It just can't be Mike Smith next year. So what do you yeah, do? Yeah, but you've here? got another year on Mike Smith's contract. I know. And it's yeah. not like he's coming off. Um, a fantastic year where he might be a movable piece. He's coming yeah. off a year that 100% proves that he's reaching the end here. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how to say this nicer than this. He's fragile. Mm-hmm. 
And he doesn't strike me as someone who, you know, oh, it's time, you know, it's my time to hang him up kind of thing. Yeah. He'll just go to the end, whether it's best or not. Yeah, that's that's funny you bring that up because I was thinking the only way you get out of that situation pain-free is if he retires. And like you said, he just doesn't seem like that type of guy. He wants to prove everyone wrong. If he has a bad year this year, he's going to come back and he's like, I'm going to prove everyone wrong next year. And, you know, Mm -hmm. props to him. That's that's It worked last year. It's a pretty good way to look at things. I'm I'm just just doubting it, right? I I doubt it like I I doubted him at the beginning of the year, right? Um, And I don't think that's a a hot take for anyone to say. He's getting old. I've been saying it for like three years, so I hope it's not hot anymore. (laughs) So uh, they are in a little bit of a bind with their goaltending. As much as they want to upgrade it, you're stuck with Smith, and you're at a position where, you know, I think Skinner is too good for the AHL, and I think it's time for him to get some uh, consistent NHL action as a backup, but you can't really do that with Mike Smith still here, right? So it will be interesting to see how Woodcroft handles the goaltending as the the season progresses, like I, I don't know if we can keep three goalies on our roster, right? And he's gonna have to roll with uh, with Koskinen and um, and Smith here, doesn't he? Short of a Koskinen trade, which I know yeah. we've talked to death last couple of months, pretty much, yeah, yeah, or a Mike run Smith it trade, back, but... run it back. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... I think I think uh, Holland is basically, if if not having said it already, he's insinuated that this is kind of it with goaltending this year, right? He's not there's not a lot of things he can do with it. Um, well, he's I... the king of like giving like a single effort to try, and then as soon as it doesn't work, he's like, okay, Mike Smith. <laughs> I think yeah. it's very interesting because you all are like, he, he didn't put in the effort. And I think it was far more, um, I think there was far more intent in picking this goalie tandem than either of you are giving it. I think that this goalie tandem was intentional because I think then that gives them an easy out for any less than stellar performance. The goaltending wasn't there, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic it's, excuse. It's a, We've seen that excuse to death over the last few months. It's It's been, uh, but it's also been, you know, oh, the Oilers are in the last 24 months, I think I've heard more than any other position on the roster. The Oilers are just a solid NHL goaltender away from being a serious contender for the cup. The Oilers are just a solid NHL goal. You know, whether it's true or not, I'm not going to argue, but it's been the most consistent and most played out merit media, you know, piece that the Oilers have, mm-hmm. but you know, this vaunted, um, you know, wondrous GM hasn't been able to fix like the glaring deficiency in his roster. Okay, Gerard, one hundred and ten percent, you're right, and it could just be a lack of effort. But I think I- it's lack of effort and the presence of Dave Tippett, because you'd have to know that Dave Tippett was in that room selling Mike Smith as hard as he could. Yeah, well, I'm sorry if yours is as wonderful as Ken Holland is supposed to be, um, and you can't smell like bullshit from someone's selling his guy to you. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I mean, he was and, so much his guy that you know he he banked on him for a back to back, and that got him fired. Frankly, <laughs> like he rode Mike <laughs> Smith to, like literally to his own death. Like that's I, I think. Uh, <laughs> I actually think, I don't think it's the starting Smith back-to-back that got him fired. I think that whatever, and Preston and I have talked about this not on this podcast, but whatever the heck is going on between the Oilers and their media group had a lot more to do with him getting fired than um, Mike Smith 
being shit awful in two back-to-back games because Mike Smith's done that before. Um, Absolutely. So I, I, I think there's something else going on there where um, Tippett didn't want to play ball or, or the Oilers don't want to play ball in a certain way and, and to me, my, mix my sports metaphors. And I think, uh, like like everyone has insinuated, Tippett was the casualty for, for you know, he was very much the, uh, you know, the scapegoat. scapegoat for this particular section. And I think, to be quite frank, if, you know, like Preston said, if they don't make the, I hope if they don't make the playoffs, Holland's the next one. But I don't know if that fixes the organizational yeah, you're, you're, I, I'm kind of in between a, a rock and a hard place when it comes to that discussion, right? Because, you know, I am an Oilers fan. I cheer for the Oilers. I want them to win. I want them to, to, to make the playoffs and be successful in there. So ultimate, ultimately, I'm hoping for that. But I'm also hoping that the team has the right guy at the helm. And uh, for that to happen, I think it's in the short term here to get that right guy in the helm, you have to miss the playoffs. <laughs> and it's uh, so... Yeah. And it's most unfortunate for Jay Woodcroft because he's kind of getting the Todd Nelson treatment, right? Yeah. Like Which, not really getting a fair shake as Todd Nelson did when he had like the helicopter, like parent of Craig McTavish with him. Mm-hmm. Jay, Jay Woodcroft is getting a, a hobbled roster that really might not make the playoffs just because it's not a good enough roster, but he's going to, you know, maybe lose his interim tag and his job at the same time because of it. Yeah. Right? That's something I really yeah, but hope doesn't happen. I, I really one like thing I do. The one thing I do think is really um, good for uh, Woodcroft is that he is, you know, everyone has been watching this nonsense for the last six months. So if at the end of the year they let Woodcroft go, I think there are more than enough teams that understand that are, are building smart enough front offices that understand Woodcroft is not the problem. You know, yeah. does it suck for the Oilers? Oh, yeah. 100% it sucks for the oh, Oilers. Yeah. I'm not worried about Woodcroft at all. He's going but to I, <laughs> no. I know, but that's the thing is some, some coaches and some front office people and some people with a great deal of potential have had their careers severely derailed by being part of the Oilers organization at the wrong time, right? Look yeah. at Dallas Higgins. He had to work for I was not going to say that one because I think he might I mean, have deserved a little bit of that derailing. He did deserve it, but also, like, you know, he's showing now that he's, he's a capable coach, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, right. uh, I know the guy I feel most bad for of all, all the coaches we've had is Ralph Kruger because he, he chose just literally the worst, worst team to come back to coach. He chose the Buffalo Sabres. And of course, that's mm-hmm. like, of course, it went wrong in Buffalo, right? Because everything always goes wrong in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, so I feel bad for him as well. Do you know, I'm beginning to think he just may need um, someone to sit down and explain to him that picking shitty teams to try to coach <laughs> out of shittiness is not a winning solution. Yeah, man, he should just stay as a chairman of that soccer team. He's, I think he's doing a good job. There, so. was it? Yeah. Yeah. He should just keep doing that. He he seemed if to be my happy. understanding was Southampton was not in fact a fantastic so- or or not doing well, fantastic. He seemed happier there. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I, I really hope uh, this isn't another Todd Nelson situation. I think the saving grace of that is that if Ken Holland is still the GM at the end of this season, you know, everyone's been saying it. He's not the type of guy to fire coaches. Uh, but he fired Tippett, and I highly doubt he'll fire uh, Woodcroft. Like, that's multiple coaches in one year. I don't think he'll do it. Um, but, hey, if Holland gets fired, who knows? I guess everything's on the table at that point, so... If Colin um, gets fired, I actually think Tippett's, or I think uh, Colin gets fired, Woodcroft's safer. Yeah. Because I think that that is at a level above Wood, 
uh, above Holland and above Nicholson, a recognizing a reckoning, the organization recognizing that the issue is not at the coaching level necessarily, yeah. right? That you know, maybe yeah, firing Holland essentially tells me whether or not they fire Woodcroft that the organization understands on some level that he was handed a flawed roster. Yeah, yeah, because it's a really tough spot for him to jump in and, and just. He has lofty expectations on him already, like game two. Like he's not even game two into his tenure as a head coach. Um, So I'm hoping we we can have him have this team, give him a better roster over the summer and just give him an extended look, give him some time, give him some runway. Because right now he's at the right at the end of that runway, right? He's not going to have much of a chance to, especially with the schedule the Oilers have. It's a pretty heavy schedule with not a lot of practice time. It's going to be hard to implement the systems that he wants right away into into, uh, game action. So um yeah it's, it's gonna be hopefully all those time. nhl debuts help him a little bit because he's got a a stronger former congress presence so he's got less work to do yeah but... and i think this is also a sign that it's going to be less reliance on veteran players because he knows the value of of young developing players on, on could we be more team. reliant on veteran players mr record Fucking awards guy. <laughs> That's a there's a uh, disconnect yeah, there, right? It's <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see how Woodcroft and, and Holland uh, navigate the relationship because they do seem like pretty opposite guys. Um, you know, yeah, the old guide and record book Holland versus uh, a little bit more forward thinking Woodcroft who uh, should be relying on on the kids a little bit more. One of those kids being uh, Dylan Holloway. Let me say, I, I cannot wait for him to come up this season as well. Um, he's been tearing it up in, in, in Bakersfield. So I think he's a, a jolt to that bottom six, especially if you play him with some quality players who will be in. Really? Because I would say leave him in the AHL and let me have Cooper, Mar- Cooper Marotti. Please, like, just well, let me see. I say that. bring both. That's I'm on team bring both. Just both. I've, I've I don't both. think you'll get both. I think you've got too many. I'm um, not saying I'll get it. I'm saying you should, I want sure, it. Sure, uh, you know, and a bunch of other contracts like that to have both. So... I think you send Shore down. You send Shore down. I think Terse is on LTIR. Uh, Cassian has a broken jaw. Maybe you trade Cassian. Maybe you find a way to trade Cassian finally. I don't know. How do you trade Cassian? I don't know. Gerard, do you know how we trade Cassian? I I would be doing everything in my future considerations. (laughs) A bag of pucks? What? Um, Because you cannot tell me that Zach Cassian is better than Dylan Holloway right now. I don't care if Dylan Holloway has no NHL games. He's already better than Zach Cassian. He also he'll already bring more to the table than Zach Cassian. Um, Great. And same with um, with Cooper Marodi. You cannot tell me that uh, Cooper Marodi would not be just as impactful or more impactful. Probably more impactful than Shore, but probably as impactful as Perlini as well. And I think those you can, you can put those guys down. You can you can put Shore in the minors. You can put Perlini in the minors. There's a way to make room for him. Dylan, Dylan Holloway and Cooper Marodi don't carry these monstrous cap hits that are impossible to fit. Yeah, but that, the only only other problem is, for some of them, the cap hit is the same if you send them to the minors or not. Yeah. Well, is that, is that yeah. the case with uh, Devin Shore? I don't um, know if it's the case with all of them, but some I'm of them. Pretty sure he's some a two-way. Or no, is he a one-way? Some of the other players are, are, are going to hit you in the cap no matter what you do. Hold on, I gotta get cap friendly up. A free plug for their website. In the meantime, as you do that, 
I kind of forgot Evander Kane was an Oiler for a second. There. No, everything you, like there's another thing. We how could you? How could you forget that? Right. It's I, like, in fact, I mean, like, alluded to the fact that Evander Kane is an Oiler within this podcast, Gerard. It's kind of it's like it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, like that happened. Like so much stuff has happened since. Like it's just a little blip on the radar now. Mm. You know what? I cannot confidently say what his contract. Oh, minor salary right here. It goes down to. Seven hundred fifty thousand. He's a, he's getting paid eight fifty right now. Um, so you know it goes down minimally, but you know it's basically a wash anyways. Mm. Um, so uh, you guys talk. I just have to get my charger for my computer. Sure thing. Let's see. Oh no, we don't have a host now. We're going rogue a bit. Yeah, let's completely can change the direction of the uh, podcast while Preston's not here exactly. to rein us in. We have two seconds before we can say something that makes us edit this out for him. Let's see. Uh, he doesn't listen through all the way. Oh, pro, I can say anything then. Okay. Um, Vezina winner, Mike Smith. Norris Trophy winner, Duncan Keith. Uh, Jack Adams Trophy winner, Dallas Akins. Uh, let's see what else. Selkie Trophy winner, Leon Dreisaitl. That's fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As long as no media are involved in the winning of the Selkie. <laughs> okay. Well, he's back, so I can't. Okay. Yeah. Fun's over. <laughs> back hey, to what, business. What thrilling conversation. And happened that's with? why I think the Toronto Maple Leafs will be the Stanley Cup champions. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's go with that one. You mean the Toronto Maple Leafs who just lost to the Canucks the other day after shooting, what, 50 shots on them? Uh, are yeah. those Toronto Maple Leafs? They're gonna do it. Yeah, those ones. <laughs> um, Stranger things have happened, Preston. I guess I can never. Dave Tippett just Maple got Leafs. fired this week, don't you know? Dave Tippett got fired by Ken Holland, so anything can happen. <laughs> I, I suppose. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Vander Kane. I, I know. I think a lot of listeners know how we feel about the Oilers getting Vander Kane. Um, how do we feel now that he's played a few games for the Oilers? I'll, I'll let you guys go, and then I'll say my piece. I think Shona has a stronger opinion on it than I do. So I think she I think, should go first. I think I have a, uh, a different positionality than um, some of the Oilers fans who would like to argue that, you know, Evander Kane can positively contribute to the, the, the team and that his, let's call them his off-ice exploits, you know, oh, well, it's, I think it's something like five incidences of alleged sexual assault, fraud, um, you know, vaccine issues crossing the border, um, you know, his gambling that, you know, is alleged and, and hasn't been proven, but hasn't, you know, conclusively been disproven. Everyone's always like, well, he wasn't convicted and the NHL didn't, but that doesn't actually mean it didn't happen. That just means no one's going to do anything about it. So I think, you know, great even if he comes in and scores 20 goals i still don't think it counters the message that the others have official or have used him to send to people who follow them that they don't belong there and that they aren't welcome and that this isn't a sport that they you know um should be represented in and should feel safe going to the building in you know i am sorry when i go if i go on my own or with you know someone else that is female, I feel a lot less safe in that building. And things like excusing a guy who, and part of that is because, you know, I've been hit on and treated like shit by men in that building. And, and 
the Oilers organization doesn't care, you know, but to, to go out and blatantly excuse it in the name of scoring goals and winning games. Um, I think that sends a very powerful message about someone's value. And I think for a lot of people who, who looked up to, to people like Connor McDavid, his comments on that situation are just heartbreaking. You know, they're a validation that winning hockey games is more important. They're validation for the idea that winning hockey games is more important than intrinsic human value or everybody's right to feel safe in the building or be supported by the team that they support. And I'm sorry, that won't ever be okay with me. I can, I can channel a ton of money into something else that will love me back. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing some, some reading to, to refresh myself on some of the allegations. He's a, been um you know so it's been a long saga for prevention. So Kane has had Kane has had sexual assault allegations come up from 2013. Yeah, you know, 2013. Okay, 2013. Uh, this, this was not even ta- this was talking about 2015. So I, I even there's there's more in 2015. There's some in 2013. I think there's some in 2017 and again in 2019. Yeah, um, I think uh what a lot. It's and a lot of them are violent sexual assault. I think one of them is choking somebody out while um, being involved in sexual relations in a club bathroom, right? Yeah. Like they're not nice. They're not what we could call consensual misunderstanding or sweep under the carpet that way. Yeah. And if our society wasn't such a bag of dicks about how it treats people who file sexual assault, you might even see more of them. Yeah. And I, I, I think no. those those type of allegations, that type of behavior off the ice trumps um, what you can do on the ice. And, and, and if you, you know, you can look at Vander Kane as just a hockey player and you can say, yeah, he's a pretty good hockey player. But, you know, when you add in the off ice stuff, the sexual assault stuff, that's that on ice stuff doesn't matter anymore. And frankly, I like mean, you said, he could score 20 goals a season and be a really good player. And it still would not have been the right move for the Oilers to bring in a guy like that to signal to people um, and to women that, you know, we don't care. We don't care that he did this and stuff like that. So um, I, I agree with your point completely. Um, and I, I can and then forgive to bring him gambling. in on a no movement clause so you can't even ship his ass to the minors. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I can forgive gambling. I I think addiction to gambling is a serious thing. And when you have a young guy who has a lot of money, that is a, it's, 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 it's an addiction and you can get help for it, but a sexual, sexual assault allegation, especially multiple. It's for, for Evander King, had he ever said, had he ever come out and said, I have an issue with gambling. This is how it fine. But there's been like all this stuff swirling around him and then just this straight refusal. Yeah. So then mm, I work in human services. This is like what I do. Um, If he has an addiction that he's not addressing and that nobody is in his life is positively counseling him to address in positive ways, then his chances of actually being able to long-term change the behavior are very slim. So if he has an addiction to gambling or if he has an addiction to alcohol or, you know, pain medications or whatever, 8 million things that um, hockey players have access to way more easily than normal people. um, 
if there's not a supportive team creating a supportive culture where that's okay, you know, I don't see, I haven't seen Evander Kane reach out to the the PAs uh, programming. I haven't seen any of that sort of stuff come across. And with the way the media has enjoyed putting Evander Kane on blast, which I I feel sort of some of the stuff he's been put on blast for is not justifiable. And some of it is, Um, and some of the stuff he should have been put on blast for, he wasn't, which is why Preston had to go look up that there were sexual assault allegations dating back to 2013. But I think um, like, then it would be a way different conversation. But for Evander Kane to say he comes in here to own his mistakes, to not actually own anything except the blatant fraud in crossing the border he got caught doing. Yeah. This is like the Holland accountability for me. Well, yeah, you've seen it with uh, with um, Duncan Keith as well. And I won't bring that up anymore because we talked that to death over the summer. And it just shows that this is a, a, a management team that frankly just doesn't give a shit about uh, the image of the team anymore right and and I think image is still an important thing for a professional hockey team who has hundreds of thousands if not millions of of young people kids looking up to their players and looking at what they do like these players are setting example for for a generation of kids who grew up watching them as well so well it's not even just kids like yeah well earlier like if like you're saying. I don't, okay, I am not a Connor McDavid fan. I don't really give gas. I don't really, you can take him or you can leave him. He's a great hockey player, but I, yeah, whatever. Um, but no, that was hurtful to sit there and have someone basically say, no, putting a little piece of rubber in a net in something that, um, you know, isn't actually going to change anything in our society is more important to me than the safety of the people or the perceived safety of the people around our sport, you know, I don't know that, that, that didn't sit well with me. Um, yeah. And you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't sit well. Especially considering how much you've seen coming out of, um, allegations and just issues coming out of uh, junior hockey in the last year and a half, and even, you know, various different national programs. I think the U S hockey is in a lawsuit right now over stuff, um, around their juniors program so yeah, the, the Blackhawks right? are even in some more like things went from bad to worse for them with that yeah, Rocky Wirtz got out one earlier this year you know and um, I think that uh, Rocky Wirtz outburst at that uh, town hall meeting that, no, I don't have time to tell you how I feel about that this <laughs> four hours yeah but uh, and then they also announced that they I believe they fired a athletic trainer with their they fired AHL an athletic trainer from their AHL team for sexual uh, abuse allegations as well. Yeah. So, After three more people came forward in the original. Oh, and I got some news for you guys. The Los Angeles Rams just won the Super Bowl. So yeah, we're, we're, we're recording this during the Super Bowl. Gas, we huh? aren't watching what? it. Okay. What the, but, okay. <laughs> I just got the notification on my laptop. Um, we got to see the halftime show, though. So, I mean, that's the. I did. I heard part. it was pretty good. I heard it was pretty it was, good. I've seen um, a lot of racism on my timeline about it, but uh, that, mm, the more people yeah. hate it for that reason, the more I think it was just amazing and uh, yeah. terrible people. Well, but like Gerard, in regards, Gerard is telling us it was good, so we'll go yeah, with that. Yeah, I believe we'll Gerard. go with that. I enjoyed it, uh, but yeah, like moves like the Evander Kane thing to me, that's the the type of winning at the cost of everything that got us the the Blackhawks thing from a decade ago and so like you're wondering what else is is rumbling behind the scenes in that regard 
And that's that's my most worrying thing, worrisome thing is like this is out in public. What could be happening behind the scenes? Right. I'm wondering about, yeah, that is a good point. <laughs> Just winning at the that. cost of everything else, no matter what it is. I would love to see a behind the scenes of, you know, what's going on with the management group, what's going on with the team that we there is behind closed doors, obviously. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for our episode here. We we hit on a, a lot of things here. I think it's almost. And we didn't hour. take a mid break unless we Preston didn't goes take a big break. Out for our nine, uh, <laughs> goofy for a bit. You don't need to listen to that. You can just post it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll just put it in. I know a lot of podcasts just plop it in there. Um, but anyways. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Um, the Oilers have a few games this week. They're on a California road trip. Let me just take a look at the schedule to, to give you a more accurate look at the week that's ahead. Uh, they open up with a date with the San Jose Sharks. If you're listening to this on Monday, that's tonight uh, at 8.30 p.m. They then head to L.A. to take on the Kings uh, at 8.30 as well on Tuesday. And what? then come back home. I am old. Stop it. They come back home and they complete that uh, California trifecta with uh, a game against the Anaheim Ducks on Thursday. And that has a 7 p.m. start time on the weekend. We have some back to backs. The Oilers are in Winnipeg to face the Jets for a matinee 2 p.m. start. They're going to lose that. They suck (laughs) in matinees. And then uh, they're back home against the Minnesota Wild on Sunday for a pretty tolerable 6 p.m. start. So to end off this podcast, I want to get uh, some uh, predictions from you guys. It's jam-packed. We have uh, one, two, three, four, five games this week. So uh, busy week for the Oilers. Where do you think they're going to go? Under the first real stretch of Jay Woodcroft games. It's still applicable that under Jay Woodcroft, the Oilers will never lose again. That's applicable. You could do that. I'm just going to slide that one right in there off the bat. Okay. All right. Um, oh, do you want to just run with the games here? Uh, go, go ahead. Let's go with, like, let's see. San Jose, I think it's going to be close. I think, they'll, I think they're going to ride a bit of that new coach high of it. I don't know for how long. Maybe until that matinee game, because that's a rock and a hard place, right? New coach for the Oilers, matinee game for the Oilers. So, yeah. I'll say that one. I'll start off with that one as the loss. But I'm going to say until then, they're just going to just ride it a little nicely. San Jose, L.A. back-to-back. Um, L.A. is going to be a shootout, and it's going to be between Jay, Wood, or Jay Woodcroft and Todd McClellan will just be locking eyes the entire time, Ooh. and they're just going to Whichever wave players. Links first, what? Exactly, exactly. It's just going to be was, a literal shootout between the two. I was thinking there's going to be some, some tension of some sort, but maybe not. They're gonna fight. It's gonna be fight. a line bro, okay. and then Woodcroft the and opposite. Well, I was thinking. <laughs> no, Woodcroft is gonna be just all like, "You held me back for all these years." Uh, and, oh yeah. wow! Oh, I hope yeah. so. It's gonna be like a, a Patrick Waugh situation where he's trying to get into the other bench or a Tortorella in the dressing room. And then Thursday is gonna be the same thing, but Nuge and Dallas Akins. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Old rivalries. I like. That. Yeah, but all wins. So I'm gonna go uh, three wins and a loss. Three wins and a loss. What are you going to do with the fifth game? Yeah, oh, we'll against Minnesota. Game. Oh, shoot. Oh, that's <laughs> Camp the hard one. Oh, no. That's the hard one. See, I don't want to – I'm never one to wish ill will on Cam Talbot. I never will. I'm going to say it's going to be a close game, like 30-plus shots for each team, but two to one for the Oilers. Okay. That's that's fair, I think. I think Unless Cam fair. Talbot doesn't start, and then it's fine? Six to five for the Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> 
So like Gerard, I'm going to go three wins and that's going to be the first three games. And then they're going to go to Winnipeg and they're going to lose because the Oilers have never won a matinee that I can think of. I'm sure they've won some. Don't come for me, people. I'm sure they've won some. It's just well, I think they've won a few this year. It's not yeah. an obvious uh, win. Um, and I'm going to say they're going to lose in overtime or a shootout to Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm going to go a little different here. I think they're going to beat the Sharks. They're going to beat the Kings. They're going to lose to the Ducks, but they're going to beat the Jets in that matinee because I don't think the Jets are doing that hot, and I think the Oilers can take advantage of that. I think they have it. What it takes? There's never I more than half a week for a matinee game. I think they're going to. I think they're going to. There's a little more uh, jump in their step when they take on the Winnipeg Jets now because you know in the playoffs last year. I think they, I think they'll get up for it. Uh, so they'll Can beat I ask the a Jets. Question about the Ducks. Um, in that loss, how cool is Trevor Zegers' game winner? Like on a scale of one oh. to ten, is it so cool? You know, is it's it so going to cool? be. Is it kind of cool? He's going to take a pass from the defense down to the right corner between his legs, and then Michigan in go for the Michigan, but he's going to go all the way around, flip it across the net, and then someone's going to bat it in. So it's going to be like a cross ice Michigan pass. Okay. That's what. So what I'm going to hear is that. The Oilers Twitter is going to lose its mind about how he was still rightfully on the so. Okay, They're going I rightfully so know, lose their like, mind on a scale of one to that's all my Twitter's got. It's going to be that's all my Twitter's. That's got. all got. your Twitter's going to get, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at the forefront of it because I wanted Zegris so much in that draft. Um, I was a Zegris believer when he was. You still are with that cross eyes Michigan stuff. <laughs> and he's he's a. Just such a fun player to watch. Yeah, Tortorella is going to retire on the spot once he sees it. Um, <gasps> That's a double win. <laughs> no losses uh, detected. Speaking of retiring, I think uh, uh, Spec Mark Spector said something about retiring uh, when he was on the Bob Stoffer show. So maybe we get a, a duo of retirements that are good <laughs> all right i think that's gonna do it for our show for real this time uh thank you guys for listening um and uh shona's holding up the the u of a pan pandas and uh <laughs> gerard has his griffin so we, we got a collegiate i have such a lesser hill to stand on in this one i have nothing i have no ammo <laughs> for that all right well thank you guys for listening and we'll hopefully talk to you next week